0: Hello, welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention, and each month I chat with a distinguished injury researcher or practitioner about topics of their interest. My guest today is Professor Flora Winston. Dr. Winston is the founder and scientific director of the Center for Injury Research and Prevention at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Dr. Winston also holds the distinguished chair in the Department of Paediatrics. As a board-certified paediatrician, a doctorally trained engineer, and a public health researcher, Dr. Winston's research has been at the interface of child and adolescent health, injury, engineering, and behavioural science. It's Dr. Winston's ability to work at this interface that we'll be exploring in detail during this conversation. And we'll draw attention to Dr. Winston's energy in addressing the big questions she faces and not shying away from those throughout her career. Hello, Professor Winston.
1: Hello, Professor McClure. Well, shouldn't we just actually call our names Rod and Flora? We're friends. This is great. Exactly.
0: And we've known each other for a long time.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's one of the great things about... um, going to, about being in the injury field and going to the conferences, you meet people from around the world who you find out are soulmates. And um, that's great. That's how I've always felt about you, Rod.
0: It's been like uh, orbiting planets, hasn't it? Every year or so, or a couple of years, you circle uh, around again, and you cross paths with uh, all of your colleagues in different places. But I've just introduced you as a an MD, PhD, a board certified paediatrician, a doctorally trained engineer, and a public health researcher who conducts research at the interface of child and adolescent health, injury engineering and behavioural science. Now, the the obvious question to start this conversation off with is uh, how and why, but I wanna miss that question and jump straight to the other end, because I suspect the answer is, you found your natural place and it's because of who you are, that these fields came together. It wasn't so much about the fields, it was more about you. So this question is really, can you start off by telling us a little bit about you?
1: Well, I, you know, I was very fortunate that throughout my life, there have been people, not necessarily at my institution, but sometimes at my institution, who um, inspired me to not go go after the simple problem, but to go after bold problems, scary problems, really hairy problems that affect lives. And so um, when I was a doctoral student, um, I invented a system to stretch cells in cell culture. And the purpose was to develop a model for studying hypertension on the cellular level. It, it got a lot of... Um, credit and uh, awards. And I actually won a medal as the best mechanical engineering um, work in 1994 of any kind of mechanical engineering work from ASME. But the problem was I also needed it to be something that spoke to me. It couldn't just be important. It had to also be something that I would want to do as much as I'd want to do the New York Times crossword puzzle. You know, like I just want to do it because it just my brain is always asking questions, and it needed to be questions that really inspired me. And um, and so as I realized that, and I think I always knew it, but then when I chose pediatrics as um, my life, because I just, just adore children and want to keep them safe, and adolescents are interesting, so are young adults, um, it just became my area of where I wanted to be. And it really was at looking at the statistics that I saw that Injury killed more children, teens, young adults, than all other causes combined. And in fact, um, you know, when you think about where people worry a lot, uh, cancer, COVID, whatever it might be, it's a fraction of why children die or um, are disabled because of injury. And so at the time that I started, a few people were looking, but it really wasn't, it wasn't in the mainstream. It was mostly... The people mostly worrying about injury when I started were um, activists or advocates or people that cared about kids, but the scientific foundation was was really lacking. And um, I grew up in the world of evidence based medicine, and I just looked at evidence based prevention, and I just thought it was lacking, and particularly with injury prevention. And so I took this crazy background, and I realized, wow. So at the core of everything with injury is energy transfer. That's really at the core. It's that someone is exposed to energy that exceeds their body's ability to manage it. That's really, that is the core. Like when you think about disease at the core, it um, might be a virus or something like that, but in, in um, injury, it is energy. Well, gosh, you know, Engineering, like that, it made sense that it all fit together. That working on um, on a on injury, it's a huge problem. It it ties into my background, and then there was one other part here, which is remember, I didn't really like working in the lab. It's about people. That the other part about injury prevention that's really crucial is it's about behavior. That you can have the very best interventions, but what we learned very early on, and we're continuing to learn with autonomous vehicles, is that you can't engineer out human behavior. Humans will figure out a way to mess up any safety technology we come up with. We just will, you know, we'll think of shortcuts, we won't understand it, whatever it might be, we'll overestimate its effectiveness. So you needed to be thinking, so think of these things that I've got so far. So it's pediatrics, which is wonderful, and it has major impact, and it's got all that. Then you've got engineering, and the third part is behavior, and then where does the public health part fit in? Well, the only way you're going to make a difference with injury is if you do it on a massive scale. You know, one-on-one is like dip, like the, the, the story we all talk about in injury prevention is like, you know, scooping the kids up from the the river who are drowning until you realize that the bridge is broken. And so go fix the bridge. So, um, So those four things together were needed, you know, not always in the same person, but for me, it was in the same person, but those four pieces are needed. And then there's a fifth part, which is actually industry. Industry is really crucial to this because we as academics are not making cars. We are not making, um, we're not making car seats. We're not making, we're not setting the rules for football. We're not doing any of that stuff. We, we are creating the science. And so having that link, being that boundary spanner to industry, to government, to all the end users was the added piece that I, that I sort of cultivated and developed like a whole
0: method for. There are not many people other than systems engineers which can sit down and articulate all of those components and the interaction between them, the way you've just done. (laughs) So do you think you were born with that talent or do you feel if you look back over your career, you've learnt about each component part and developed an expertise in that and moved on to learning about
1: another part? 100% I'm a problem solver. That is just in my DNA from the time I was young. There's no cookbook for being a scientist. There's no right path for being a scientist. What you need to do is hold in your heart that you're going to be bold, that you're going to go where no one else goes because you're motivated by solving a problem. If you really go from that approach, what I always tell people is what you get from your bachelor's is you get the ability to think critically. What you get from your master's is you learn a specific skill. What you get from a PhD is how to solve a problem, right? You know, that's really, you know, how to systematically apply systematic methods to solving a problem. And for me, it doesn't matter what the discipline is. Like for all of my work, like I do a ton of behavioral science research and I've never taken a psychology class. I do a ton of epidemiology research, I'm not an epidemiologist. And what I, what I do is I, as, um, as the leader that I think I've become, I pull together a team of people who are inspired by solving a problem and I bring the best minds and the best talent together to solve it. And that's the only way to be successful, you cannot be an island. You, there's no way, particularly these days, um, with how quickly data science is changing and how quickly engineering is ch- You cannot be alone. You have to have partners. So, and my my um, colleagues, my partners, I just go straight to the best person in the world who does that. And I inspire them that child injury is a major issue. And they say, I'm on board. How can I help? And it's everything from the best person in the world. Like I, I remember when I first started doing... Work in the um, sort of getting messages out through the web because we had one of the first car seat websites. Um, I went to the head of Google Analytics and he taught me about uh, about that. You know, he was just he spent time with me teaching me because I told him that this was the leading cause of death for kids and I needed to get on top of making sure that people came to us for information rather than less worthy sources. How funny is that? Thinking about where we are now, and it's also about loving your problem. You know, being in love with your problem, not in love with your career, not in love with your science, but in love with your problem. And you will do very well. You know, this, I, I often tell people that I've been very fortunate with funding and I have a little rule. It's there four, three R's and an I that if your work is relevant, if your research is rigorous and if you really respect the other person, so you have a relationship then you'll get funding. How much funding you get is how important is your work to the other person, how aligned it is with something that they need and um, that corporation, that funding agency, whoever it might be. So it's three R's and an I and that has worked really well for me. Uh, people, People really want to make a difference and if you come to them as somebody with rigorous background and say, I'm here to help you make a difference, to work with you, not to, to preach at you, they're willing to partner. And it's really, really, really um, gratifying. You can make big changes.
0: It strikes me that if we people listening to you will be struck as I was struck, actually, even though I have had you present before and I have followed your career closely enough um, to have the answer to this. But somebody listening to you would, would be struck by two things, I think. One, the courage that's coming through very strongly and to call out when you don't know something an academic starting off on their career tends not to start off that way they, they tend to look at I have a data set what can I do with it as opposed to the other end of the problem which you've identified or the other end of the process which you've identified so I'm back to the same question is it
1: something about you do you think uh, where did you learn this I definitely think it's something about me clearly is um, related, I'm sure, to my upbringing, which um, really, my parents really focused on, um, you know, my being as good as I possibly can, and academics were really important. But I don't know, it, it just, every, I was just very fortunate to have a few teachers along the way who inspired me to think big. One of the problems that I'm seeing with how people are coached these days, and I keep fighting against this, I would love to do a whole other podcast on it. There, there are two things that we are being asked to do. Is One of them is to help people understand the formula for getting promoted and how do you get those things done. You know, So there are all these things out there for how to get certain grants and how to do this so that you can check those boxes off and get promoted and it gives people a little bit more sense of security that um, they're going to have a job long term and it reduces stress and that part of it's good but there's such an emphasis on that that people don't want to take risks you know then the second part is um, nobody cares about what makes you happy like I I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years Um, I I think I've probably done hundreds of one-on-one um, meetings with everything from um, undergrads, high school students, all the way through to full professors. And they say, you know, Flora, I don't know what I want to do next with my life. You know, so if it's an undergrad, they're asking about going to medical school or PhD or whatever. And I always turn the conversation and within a half an hour, we have a whole nother path where I'd say, when was the last time you were happy? What were you doing? You know, and I think that there might be some people who are really happy with getting a data set and finding something interesting in them. And that's okay. You know, they don't all have to be me, right? Like, you don't all have to be these crazy problem solvers, but like, you need to know what makes you happy mm-hmm. and go after mm-hmm. that. And I think yeah. one of the challenges we have is there's so much stress and there's so much um, out there because people aren't aligning. What, they're, what they love doing, what's something important that makes them happy. And, and I think that for me, what always made me happy was the question. Like, you know, it doesn't matter where I am. I'm always asking questions. Huh, I wonder, I was walking on the beach in the winter and all the, uh, I saw, like, I noticed, and that's how I found the airbag problem. But I was walking on the beach in the winter and I saw that all of these horseshoe crabs were on their back, and I never remember seeing horseshoe crabs on the beach in the winter. And so I looked at it, and and I think that probably something happened that somebody dug something up in the ocean, and they like washed ashore, because it clearly wasn't a time for, for laying eggs. And so I, I just went around, and I turned them all over so that they could get back into the ocean again, you know, because otherwise they would freeze. That's me. That's who I am. So, I mean, I think it's like, it's not that one is better than the other, it's just who I am. And if somebody's out there and in your core, you're a problem solver, you notice things that other people don't notice, go after that.
0: So is this what makes you the researcher you are, in fact, that you're problem driven or you can identify and have have a need, but you're not just looking for the next question. The next question is helping you solve the problem. So you've got the science and the intervention and the public good and the enjoyment of all of that all wrapped
1: up together. That's right. So I call it research to action to impact, you know? Right. And it's a, it's a cycle. You know, like you start off with looking at identifying something. So for me, I identified that children were dying from airbags. This is an example, Okay. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is like an epidemic, you know? And so then I said, but, like, how many children? Is it a problem? Da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, why are they? What's the mechanism? You know, like, immediately it turned into questions Mm -hmm. so that I could understand it enough to explain it to people who could make a difference. You know, like, I was sitting on this, like, like an archaeologist with this finding, but, like, who do I have to talk to and what information do I need to give them? And so I immediately... Brought in um, the National Transportation Safety Board and NHTSA and like started like figuring it out with them, but then I was like, "But wait a minute, we need to know if this is a problem that we need to address urgently, or you know, how are we going to do it?" And so I needed to create a surveillance system. So I did. Right then, I when I got that information, I was like, "Okay, now we're finding that it's about the right restraint and where the kids are sitting. So now, like, we need to understand." what are the right restraints, and where should the kids be sitting, and then why they don't. And so each piece turns into another design cycle. And so at my core, I I am an innovator. It doesn't mean that I come up with the best inventions, because people around me might be better at that. But I really come up with a problem. And I when I think about um, innovation, because I actually have a new role as the director of the innovation ecosystem at CHOP, and i Part of what I want to do now is to take this world of injury prevention and teach others how to create new value out of their discoveries. And that's what innovation is. Innovation isn't being creative. Innovation is about creating value, like whether it's prevention or whatever it might be. And so the only true opportunity is when you're, there's a problem, there is a novel solution and an ability to deliver it right? So if you think from day one, ah, I've identified a problem, right? Well, then you need to figure out what to do about that problem or else, you know, people are paralyzed and you have to figure out who are your partners who are going to deliver it. And so I think about that from the second I see a problem, my brain immediately goes, all right, who do I need to surround me? Okay, what? Do I look? like, I just like this thing that happens in my head. And that's what I do, you know? And I would love anybody else who's out there who hears this who wants to be part of that movement of solving problems. But you know, let let's all talk because that's that's what that's what drives me. And that's um, you know, I just I don't sleep until the problem is solved.
0: <laughs> and then there's the extra dimension which you haven't mentioned but you've illustrated is your communication skills, and your mm. and you did say that uh, what you like to do is well you talked face-to-face with hundreds of people. You actually, what you would like to do in your current role of leading entrepreneurial work is get the message out there. So you're actually, built into you is also this need or, or this drive to to communicate, to educate, to provide opportunity and to create a movement.
1: So, so the communication part, it's interesting. I think that that was just who I am, but it's because... I love the other person I'm talking to, you know, more yeah. than I love myself. Right. And so if you love the other person you're talking to more than you love yourself, then you're going to want them to understand what you're talking about and hear what they have to say. And mm-hmm. so I think that comes from being a pediatrician. I, the, my favorite part of a physical exam, of a, of a visit with a patient is the history I love the stories people tell. There's a wonderful book called um, Every Patient Tells a Story, and it's a, a, a doctor who started out as the person who did those mystery cases in the New York Times. And she loves mm. so much this, this, the, the stories that she actually became a doctor afterwards, which is so interesting. Well, I did it the other way. I became a doctor because I, I love helping people but I don't love helping them. That sounds like I'm um, I'm more special than I am. It's really about hearing what they have and unlocking their potential to solve their own problems. And I love doing that. So what I do is I spend as much time as I can with lots of other people now and try right. to understand where they're coming from um, that because their viewpoints are incredibly real. You know, like, sometimes I would get frustrated that um, something that I thought was obvious wasn't being adopted by other people, because that happens a lot in injury prevention. And right now we're, we're seeing a real, I think, backlash against public health in general, because the public health community in my mind is largely telling people what to do and not necessarily always hearing why they're not accepting that information and changing their viewpoint. They just say it louder and louder and louder. And mm-hmm. for me, what I would do, it's, it's, it's all the entrepreneurial spirit, is what you do is little tiny design cycles where I always have logic models that are driving my work. It's sort of like, this is where I want to go. So there are three steps that um, have strong arrows between them. One is overcoming barriers and, and enhancing facilitators that would then change certain behaviors. And if those behaviors are changed, then um, then you'll see the impact that you want. And the behaviors can be for a policymaker to a parent. It, it, it's like, or, or a car company. It's But there has to be a decision, an action, something that people do that's gonna lead to the change. And people don't always think about it that way. And so what I find is that people know what that goal is but they haven't really thought what are the barriers and facilitators and how do i overcome them and and that's really i think where a lot of my communication stuff comes in is that i really i really listen to people tell me more tell me more tell me more because it's part of that early design cycle because at that milestone if i have it overcome a barrier then that's Either, you know, you have three things. It's continue, stop, or pivot, right? So if I, at that early phase, can't overcome a barrier, then either this thing will never work or I've got to think about it differently. I've got to pivot rather than just forcing it and keeping, let me, you know, like you didn't get my messaging this way, so let me say it this way. It's, you know, communicate, communicate, knowledge, knowledge. No, 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 no. Maybe you got to go a whole nother way and you got to make it a law. Or maybe you got to go a whole other way and just make it incredibly easy. Or maybe you need to go a whole other way and not communicate directly with this person, but communicate with their influencer, whatever that might be. But that's how I do my work, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does. And um, it leads us to perhaps a a final question. And it brings us back to the beginning. You've got multiple disciplines. Um, Do you have any trouble? holding two or three different realities in, in your mind. You're not just a, a single discipline researcher. You actually can move between multiple areas and, and in and out of academia and with industry. Uh, is that
1: a particular skill that we haven't stressed enough in injury prevention? Oh, completely, I think we haven't. And in fact, this, the problem I have isn't with the team that I'm in necessarily. It's with others who are in a certain discipline that they will look at my work sometimes and, and I've tried as much as I possibly can to be as rigorous as possible in every discipline, but there will be times where, um, the people who care more about their discipline and the rigor of the science than they do about the outcome will make me feel bad about myself, you know? Like, oh, why don't you have this control or why don't you have this thing? Like completely ignoring the impact of the work and injury prevention by definition will not be successful if it's siloed. It is a um, cross-disciplinary field and it makes it very challenging to find where its home is and people will shoot things at it from all different directions. You know, like if you do cancer, you know, there's usually like an oncology department you know, or something like that. But there almost never is an injury department. If anything, there's an injury center. Like even at NIH, there isn't an injury institute, right? There's the cent- There's the CDC center, but that's, that's, a, that's different. Um, I, I won't go into that now, but it is different. Where, you know, in, in, I don't know of any academic institution that has an injury department, just like you would have an immunology department or uh, something else, you know? So, any, so it really becomes the challenge is that people from disciplines or people who are used to that kind of world um, really trying to rip down what we're doing in injury as not being rigorous enough without really remembering that sometimes it, these are the best data we have. You know, and so we make the best of what we've
0: got. Yeah, and I think one thing that does characterize most people in injury world who are card carrying injury practitioners and researchers is that end goal, which is public good, isn't it? it's it's what drives it's what you started off the
1: conversation with finding something which made the biggest difference it's why we love it like when you're when you're in a a meeting like saver or the world injury conference or whatever and you're with all these people it's like it's like ah oh my gosh this is so wonderful i don't have to tell people over and over again this is the leading killer of kids i don't have to do it everybody knows it i can take those slides out of my my talk it's just (laughs) such a it's like this is why we're here and that's why i love it and why i I just don't know why everybody isn't doing it because it's, I mean, we would have a wonderful um, safe world if a lot of people really took it to heart.
0: Yeah. And I I think this conversation we've had uh, is a, is a wonderful opportunity to actually spread that confidence and that courage Mm -hmm. and give people a Mm -hmm. chance to, to hear somebody who actually has bought into that, um, And and I wish we could have had this conversation in front of an audience and had their immediate reaction. Maybe we'll do it.
1: Yeah. Maybe we'll do that. You know, I'm happy to come back to Australia sometime, you know, I'm happy to give a talk. You know, I I just want to give people sort of some of the uh, quotes um, that I got early on in my career. So when I put in one of my first um, uh, human subjects uh, protocols, um, institutional review board applications, what the head of the IRB said, who was a metabolism researcher at that time, said, someone told me, well, I'll approve it, but why study accidents? Hmm. Okay, that was, that was the first one. I also um, had a, I was just actually quoting these this week, it was funny. Somebody um, who I think is a very forward-thinking pediatrician um, said, she's not focused, you know, she's an engineer, she's public health, she's this, she's not focused. And it's like, um, yeah, I'm actually focused on the problem, not the discipline. Um, I get a lot of people saying, so what are you? And I'm like, I don't know what to say. So I say that I'm a pediatrician, right? Because um, like, you have to be a thing, like, you're not like, you know, you have to be like an epidemiologist or an engineer or something like that. So I, 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 get, I always get stuck on that one. Another one that I loved was that my dollar to paper ratio wasn't good, that given how much money I was getting, I wasn't producing enough papers because I was creating a surveillance system from scratch. And I just like turned to that chairman at the time and I said, believe me, there'll be plenty of papers. So each one of these, I had an answer because it's kind of like I wasn't speaking to them. Like... I just always had this attitude that I would get a job somewhere. So if academia, I really, really love academia and I'm so happy I stayed, there always was someone who understood it, but like it wasn't the be all and the end all. Like the be all and the end all is if if the days went by and I didn't make a difference in children's lives, that was really the thing. And so whatever these people said to me, I mean, even though they were senior people, I just was like, I mean, I wasn't disrespectful and I always met all of these things, but you know, I just really had a calling that was in a different space from where they were thinking. Um, not that they were bad people and they did wonderful things themselves, but it just was that. And so um, I just would leave people with something that if you want to be an academic in injury prevention and really have a career like mine, which you know, I think anyone could if they um, you know just pull the right team around them, Sadly, you have to be bold because it's never going to be mainstream. So you have to not be arrogant. Don't be that. But you have to like just be true to the children. Um, be true to whatever population you're doing. And really, just think about what your answers to questions will be when people challenge you. Um, and and um, and like bring them back to their hearts. Bring them back to why they actually are your department chair or whatever. Why did they get into this? And oftentimes. They got into it for the same reason as you, but then they got all caught up in the bureaucracy. This, and and that really just appealed to the heart and say, look, by helping me, you're helping to rekindle your aspiration for making the world a better place. The second thing is that you need to be, you need to be better than the others. Like you need to meet all of the goals and then some, because you're not doing something traditional. So like, I still published in high impact journals. I still got all the grants. I did all those things because since I'm different, you have to be a little bit better. You know, you just, you just have to be. And, and then the other is that, you know, just always remember what makes you happy. And if you're really miserable, you know, that's what the injury prevention community is about is to reach out to people who can understand what you're going through in this weird space.
0: Thank you, Flora. I'm going to pause here and let people think about what you just said. It's been an absolutely tremendous chance that we've had today to chat and I'm looking forward to the next one.
1: Oh, thank you, Rod.
0: We've been listening to a conversation with Professor Flora Winston from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. For anyone wishing to learn more about some of the topics we've covered, I would encourage you to visit the journal's website at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Remember, you can subscribe to Injury Prevention Podcasts on your favorite platform or app, and have them automatically downloaded to your device each month.